Hey, welcome back to a new edition of the Scout with Brian podcast. Gonna jump around a little bit, a whole bunch of different topics on the docket uh, today, starting with Ben Simmons bullshit. I'm gonna start right there because there is no player that's a star, legitimate all-star every season on Right now, the number one seed in their conference, who was a number one overall pick, who gets more bullshit than Ben Simmons does. It is unbelievable how constantly scrutinized and shat on and just hot take after nonsense hot take he gets for being one of the best 15 or so players in the league. Here's the thing. Ben Simmons is really freaking good. He might be the best defensive player in the league right now. If he's not, he's certainly top three or four. Personally, all the writers and and bloggers are always going to vote Rudy Gobert Defensive Player of the Year. Rudy Gobert's not stopping anybody in the playoffs. He's not switching on to anyone. He's not getting up and picking rolls. He does one thing. He waits back at the rim and he protects the rim well. Ben Simmons is switching one through five. He's getting down in the stands, guarding the best guards in the league, the best wings in the league, taking on the challenge on the best bigs in the league. He does everything defensively. He's averaging 12 points, over nine rebounds, eight assists, a steal and a half, and a block per game. The Sixers are 10-5 and five with a new head coach, and you would think the sky is freaking falling there. He's also coming back from a not insignificant injury that obviously knocked him out of the playoffs last season. Certainly a little bit rusty. And we hear nonstop, what's wrong with him? He doesn't look like himself. He's he's missing something. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. He's fine. Yeah, he's not scoring as much as he usually does. He's probably still working his way back in his shape, getting fully comfortable with the knee and leg and all the things he was banged up with. But they're playing great basketball. It's literally incredible how often we seem to forget that defense, yes, is half the game. Period. So if he's the best defender in the league, even if he has the massive flaw, obviously offensively, not being able to shoot... If you told me I could have the best defender in the league, one of the best point guards in the league from a phenomenal passing standpoint, playmaking, floor vision, hit-ahead passes, one of the best rebounders in the league, a good finisher, a guy that posts up, puts pressure on the defense, forces help to come in, creates a ton of threes that way, one of the highest volume three-point creators in the league, despite not taking that himself, them himself, I'll take that in a second. You look at the 2016 NBA draft. Okay, after him is Brandon Ingram. What's Brandon Ingram done in the playoffs? Brandon Ingram could shoot the ball. He could score the ball. He's really good. But how much flack does he get for not really playing any defense. (laughs) 
it's like people don't understand. There's a huge freaking difference between those two guys on that end. There's a huge difference in terms of just toughness and physicality and and impact on the game. Ingram's nowhere near what Simmons is as a passer, as a creator, as a rebounder. And again, he's a really good player. He's an all-star. But as good as Ingram is offensively, he might be as bad defensively. If Simmons has a fatal flaw of the jump shot, Ingram's fatal flaw is half of the game. That's a pretty bit much uh, a bigger percentage than a jump shot, which Jason Kidd didn't have for a long time in his career. LeBron didn't have for a long time in his career. Giannis still doesn't really have that anybody cares if he's taking threes. That doesn't make any impact on how Giannis is played. Teams will love when he shoots threes. They'd give him 15 of those a game. It doesn't make a difference. Yes, all else equal, it would be tremendous if Ben Simmons had a jumper. And to be honest, the analytics movement in Philly kind of screwed that up too by Brett Brown trying to make him shoot a three a game and force threes on him, whatever. That's not the shot that matters for him. He's never the shot. I'm sorry. It's it, it's broken, okay? And I guarantee you it's at least broken from three. The best you can hope for is that he develops like a 10 to 15 foot elbow pull up. So at least when guys play 30 feet off of him, he could step in and knock down a shot once every blue moon. Or make the defender go over a pick and roll occasionally because he can pull up around the foul line and make a shot. That would be golden. He is never, ever, ever going to be able to shoot 34% from three on a reasonable volume out there. (laughs) That part's gone. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Okay, so we know what he is by now. And if he does everything else on a basketball court besides shoot, I'm still willing to roll with that if I'm the Sixers, if I'm a fan of their team. Yes, it might be frustrating ultimately that you might not be a championship team. You know what? There's one champion every year. If you finish in the final five or six every season, that's still pretty good. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Put the right pieces around him like it looks like they've done a much better job of this season. Surrounding him with shooting and spacing. And when you have him and Embiid's toughness healthy in the playoffs and their defensive abilities and combine it with some big-time shot makers and Tobias hopefully playing like a max player again, like he's been doing, that's your best chance. You're not going to get any better by, by trading him. Trade him for Harden? What's Harden won in the playoffs? He's, if you ask Daryl Morey, the best scorer of all time, which is nonsense, but... How much? How many playoff games has his scoring won? His defense, his his lack of intensity and competitiveness, and the things that don't even show up on a box score, those things have lost plenty of playoff games. When he's looked near comatose in massive games and just slept walked out there. And again, I'm not saying Ben's been any better, but yeah, if I was Philly and I had the choice between. 
been for the next 10 years and continuing to be the cornerstone basically of your franchise and getting better and making his teammates better and a guy that's really fun to play with versus Harden, who I love, but was out of shape, was total BSing around in Houston. (laughs) I mean, straight up, maybe, but the fact that they would have to give a lot more than just Ben 2, I totally get them not wanting to do that. Jalen Brown, okay, really good player. I'm still taking Ben Simmons over him overall. Yes, Jalen's a better shooter. He's a better scorer. But overall impact on the game, ben, Ben's better. Dragon Bender, yeah, enough said. Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald doesn't get an ounce of the flack that Ben gets. Sixth pick that year. He's part of the worst defense on pace to be the worst defense in NBA history. Sacramento's given up like 125 points a game. They're a joke. But Buddy can make threes, so how's the highlights and Bleacher Report? But Buddy went off. Buddy was hot. Somebody's got to cool Buddy down. Somebody's got to tell Buddy to play some damn defense. Jamal Murray's a great player. Nobody was taking him number one. Marquise Chris, no. Jacob Pertle, no. Thon Maker, no. Damas Sabonis, there you go, number 11. He's probably the best player in that draft. Obviously, nobody was thinking about him at number one. Okay, so you may say, oh, for number one, you got to be able to shoot the ball. you got to be able to do this and that. Okay, but if he's still the best of those top ten picks, just about, and you have to go to number 11 to find a guy who's better than him, Sabonis, Jamal Murray, Ben Simmons. Those are basically the three best players in that draft. In what order you can mess around with a little bit. But again, never has there been a fan base as ungrateful as Philadelphia is for a player of Ben Simmons' caliber. And if I have to hear one more time from a bunch of nincompoops in my mentions, oh, he hasn't gotten any better since his rookie year. He literally has gotten not, nothing has improved. Bullshit. <laughs> You're literally just saying that because... You're only looking at shooting. You have no idea how many things you can get better at in basketball than just shooting. Executing plays. Basketball IQ. Passing. Handling. Passing and finishing with both hands. Rebounding. Blocking out. Screening. Setting up your man for a screen. Cutting. Attacking driving gaps, catching and going, post-ups, post-moves, floaters. Defense, defensive positioning, on-ball defense, off-ball defense, shot blocking. Physicality, ball pressure, stance, deflections. There are a million different things, and not all those things show up in the stat sheet. But I promise you... Ben Simmons has gotten better at a lot of them. And you know what? He's even gotten better at shooting. (laughs) Because now at least he's gone from never, ever, ever taking them to every once in a blue moon he tries one. 
usually doesn't go in. He was 0 for 17 his first couple years from three. You know what? You say he doesn't get any better. Free throw percentage, 56 to 60 to 62, 64. That's an improvement. Giannis has gone the other direction. I'd rather have Ben right now looking like he's on track to become maybe a 70% free throw shooter someday. That's helpful. And again, you just... Yes, he has not improved the jumper. That stinks. I wish he had. He obviously has not worked his rear off shooting every second of his career like he should have. And sure, he deserves some blame, especially for his first couple of years, not putting in the time, not realizing how hard he had to work. But again... All of these things that go into being a point guard, that go into being a leader, that go into be being an elite defensive player, I promise you he's shown improvement with. Ben Simmons, to me right now, deserves to be in the MVP conversation, along with Joel. And instead, you'd think he's one of the worst players in basketball and half the Philly fans want him dead. He's 24 years old. He's still working his way back into game shape. He's got a new coaching staff. He's got Sam Cassell now. He's got Doc's basketball genius in his ear. Calm down and give the guy a freaking chance. Even without shooting. Appreciate what he does. Appreciate all the things that go into winning. I mentioned James Harden. Next, let's talk about him a little bit. Because he also faces a great deal of misconceptions. The most glaring to me is that he's selfish or a ball hog or doesn't make his teammates better. Just nonsense. He's one of the best passers in the NBA. He's a brilliant, brilliant reader of the floor who makes the right decision almost every time, and is a remarkable passer out of the high pick and roll, out of transition, head manning the ball, just throwing it ahead to guys running. People also think he doesn't play any defense because of, yes, plenty of shacting clips and falling asleep early in his career. But people that really know the game now, watch the game closely now, Know that he's actually a pretty good defender. Not an all-NBA defender, not great. But he gives plenty of effort on that end. He switches one through five. He's able to guard the post well. He gets a ton of deflections and steals. He's super high IQ, which lets him see the other team's plays before they develop too, and know exactly where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to switch, what plays he can blow up, where he can help. Criminally underrated of those two things. So Brooklyn getting him, you had to do that, for sure. I'm not worried at all about his fit there. 
And him and Kevin Durant together for two games look great. <laughs> and that's a heck of a pairing. Where it gets a little trickier? Sure, Kyrie Irving. I don't know what to think of him, honestly. I mean, first and foremost is just the mental instability. But yes, I know he obviously cares about a lot of things in the world, a lot of good things, a lot of good causes, donates a lot of money, donates a lot of time. Those are all great things that should be applauded. But the bottom line is, you're an NBA player right now. That is your job. That is your contract. That is what you get paid a lot of money for. If you want to walk away from a lot of that and and give it up and, and devote yourself to other causes, that's entirely your right and, and good for you. But if you're getting paid max money from the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant and James Harden are counting on you to be part of a championship-type team, you can't just disappear for a week and not really tell anybody what you're doing. I think that goes without saying. On top of that, obviously, I think there's still a lot of fair questions about him as a, as a winning basketball player. Yes, he might have the best uh, shake-and-bake handle of all time, the best multiple dribble combo moves, crossover, bat-bat between the legs, behind the back, in and out. It, he's filthy. But besides being alongside LeBron James, he's never really been able to coalesce that into being part of a super effective system. And you know what? I promise you, even though he had a great honeymoon period in Boston, by the end of his time there, I think guys liked him as a person and, and you know, appreciated him as a human being. But playing with him seemed to be a pretty miserable experience. They went from being a Brad Stevens team, which is always one of the best teams in the league, running a million plays and executing and sharing the ball and playing like a team, to basically running nothing and Kyrie just dribbling 50 times every possession. James Harden, like I said, plays 50 spread pick and rolls a game. He's averaged... Double-digit assists a number of times. He's led the league in assists. I'm not concerned about his passing. Kevin Durant is a four-man, five-man, three-man, whatever sometimes, who's the most gifted scorer maybe ever. He gets the ball in the mid-post. He gets the ball in post-ups. He gets the ball on spot-ups. He doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. Obviously, the ball's going to find him a lot, and he's going to be super efficient, and he's going to score a ton. But he's not demanding the ball 50 times a game. He's going to score 25 in his sleep. Kyrie Irving? Yes, he's the one who... Is he going to be okay spotting up? Is he going to be okay driving to make a lob pass for DeAndre Jordan? To make a kick out for James Harden or Kevin Durant? To set screens for them to play motion offense? Those things he hasn't really been willing to do in his career. And I talked about Harden's defense being better than people think. Kevin Durant's perfectly competent defensively. Can even play some 
small five, protect, guard the rim a little bit. Kyrie is the worst defender of the three. They need him to be better on that end and more committed on that end. Brooklyn's identity right now is to try to score 140 points a game and just find a way to outscore you to win 140 to 135. And as we saw against Cleveland the other night, that's not always going to work. I do think they need to develop some semblance of a defensive identity. They have to be able to stop somebody. Not all the time. They don't have to be one of the best defenses in the league. But they're around 20th now, I believe, and quickly dropping. That's not going to get it done. DeAndre Jordan is playing 70 feet back on every pick and roll, just conceding wide-open mid-range jumpers. It's like Chris Middleton, like, they just gave him that shot with two minutes left in, like, the fourth quarter. Ends up winning that game, but you're not going to win games in the playoffs daring Chris Middleton and take wide-open mid-range jumpers against a drop. That's always been the danger with D'Antoni teams, even though, yes, this is Steve Nash's team, but knock on him his whole coaching career is he doesn't didn't really do defensive drills for a long time, didn't really care about that stuff, just wanted to outscore you. Everybody's worried about three guys, three ball handlers, three ball-dominant guys, three not enough basketballs, whatever. They're a top-five offense right now. They're going to finish a top two or three offense. I'm not worried about that end. They will find a way to score enough points. Will they find a way to hold teams under 130, though? Will Kyrie Irving find a way to fit in? Will Reggie Perry be good enough for the backup five? There's other questions. There's a lot of questions. Ultimately, I think they still have a great chance to be the best team in the East. And they're going to be measured, obviously, by what they do in the playoffs. So they have a long time to figure it out. They have a lot of games to to build their habits, to build their exact system, to learn how to play together. Those guys play off each other. Which guys play best alongside them? Maybe add a piece or two, big man or two. A couple more defensive-minded guys with that identity that pride themselves on being the defensive stopper. But yeah, right now they are what they are. They're an offensive juggernaut that doesn't really seem to give two shits about defense. It'll win a lot of games in the regular season, a lot of games in the East where that's still good enough to get by, and most of the time they are going to outscore everybody. Is it good enough to win in the playoffs? That remains to be seen. Let's do some quick hitters now. I had some posted just looking for some topics, some ideas, things to talk about. A lot of you guys reached out on Twitter. So I appreciate it. I'm sorry. I'm looking right now, and I see somebody asked, please, can you do KVJ, how he would fit on the Rockets? Is that Kevin Porter Jr.? (laughs) Who's KVJ? Am I missing something? 
I'm going to ask right now, actually, so maybe I'll get back to you by the end of the episode. Do they call Kevin Porter Jr. that? If so, no, I'm not going to talk about how he'll fit on the Rockets. I just hope he doesn't throw a cake at anybody and can not get himself arrested for the rest of the season. Somebody asked about Stan Van Gundy. Meh. He is what he is. He's a mediocre head coach at this point. He can he can woke tweet as much as he wants and retweet Sean King and sound like such a a, a hip woke dude on Twitter. But at the end of the day, you ask anybody in Detroit if they really like playing for him, he's grating as hell. He just screams at you the entire time. He freaks out all the time. I understand what he's trying to do. Alvin Gentry did let them play too loose. He let them play so fast and so recklessly that they, those things impact your floor balance and your ability to play defense and your energy. He's trying to slow the game down and get them to focus on defense and build better habits on that end. And they have a little bit. But yeah, I, I just... I mean... The roster's certainly not good enough to win right now. I predicted them before the season to win 25 games. They're making me look good. Lonzo's the dictionary definition of mediocre, especially with his shot totally falling apart again this season. Zion lights up House of Highlights, but he also has tremendous question marks about how you really build a team around him. How many fours in the NBA can't shoot, can't guard on the perimeter, can't move their feet, can't really dribble well enough? I mean, that's that's hard to fit. I see there's a movement to ditch Steven Adams, play him at center. How many 6'8 centers do you know? He's not really big enough to play center. That's the problem. That he, yes, he's a physical freak. He's huge. He's athletic. He looks like a linebacker. All those things, great. But he can't defend the rim at six eight. He needs somebody behind him. He can't be a twenty five spread pick and roll guy a game who's catching lob passes left and right. He's too small. I think, at least for now, unless he you know, really slims down and is able to move better. It's not easy to build around that guy. I, I get why Steven Adams is there, and I get why he's he's playing. And again, they're trying to build a defensive team. But yeah, right now, David Griffin hasn't given him enough talent, and Stan Van Gundy's just not that special <laughs> as a coach, quite frankly. Somebody asked about what happened to Gary Harris. Fair question. I'm pretty curious about that myself. Gut instinct? Mental. Confidence has just fallen off the face of the earth. That's a shame because he's a really good defender. Came into the league as a super highly touted shooter and 
lit it up for a while, but I think he just clearly has got in his head a lot, and it's unless there's some other injuries or things we don't really know about, it's really tanked his game, which is really unfortunate again because he's a he's a really good you know three and D type guy who Denver needs to be a, an elite shooter and defender, and his three point percentages have gone from 42 and 40 his third and fourth year to 34 to 33 to now 30 this year. I will say, though, before missing the last couple with personal reasons, last four games, 12 of 25 from three. That's a little bit better. Because I remember I checked his three-point percentage a couple weeks ago. It was like less than 20%. Now he's up to 30. Don't write him off just yet. He also had some injuries, locked him out of a lot of last season. He won them a ton of playoff games with his defense. There's definitely still something there, and he's still an important piece of the puzzle. But, yeah, I mean, 90% of shooting is half mental. It's, <laughs> you know, if you've ever played pickup, the more you think about it, the more you think period is usually not a good thing. Shooting is flow and rhythm, and when you're just in that zone, <laughs> it feels good. It feels great. Shot goes in. When you're in your head and you start thinking and somebody starts talking trash sometimes and you get down on yourself and you start thinking, should I shoot this ball? Should I pass it? What's wrong with my shot? Why am I missing long, short, blah, blah, blah? It really messes with you. Speaking of messing with you, Draymond Green's ejection last night was bullshit. Unacceptable. A rookie official, first year in the NBA, gave him a second technical, and I'm pretty sure his first tech too. First tech you could hardly even see on TV. Yeah, Draymond complains and bitches a lot, but for the same rookie ref to give him not only one but two techs, and the second tech to be one where he clearly as the NBA has even admitted and now rescinded the technical, was yelling at his own teammate. It's just unbelievable. He got ejected in the first half of a game for that. It can't happen. There needs to be a better circumstance in place to get together and, okay, (laughs) it's funny. You know what? The guy, yeah, Draymond snaps a lot. He cusses a lot. He thought he was talking to him. Okay. So, rescind the technical on the spot. Go look at the freaking video. You can clearly see James Wiseman snaps back at him. Draymond turns the ball over. Trying to feed Wiseman in the post. Draymond snaps at him for letting his defender step around him and steal the entry pass. Wiseman barks something back. Draymond yells at him, fuck that. And the ref... Somehow thought he was talking to him and tease him up. (laughs) Okay, fix it. How can we not fix that? That needs to be fixed live. What the hell good does it do Golden State today to say that the technical was rescinded? Saves Draymond Green a little bit of pocket change. (laughs) It's just, uh, it's outrageous. It can't happen. 
couple other things you guys submitted. Christian Wood, development potential. I mean, he's he's really developed offensively. He's a great offensive piece, shooter, roller, lob guy, can dribble a little bit, create a little bit. But there's something that's not there, like totally. Something mentally, something in terms of understanding the game, understanding defense. The Pistons might have screwed up. They might have been better off keeping him. But Dwayne Casey's not a moron. I mean, he's not incompetent. If he didn't love to play Christian Wood that much and then also obviously didn't make that strong of a push to keep him, they knew there's something that's not perfect there. And like every player now, he can shoot, he can score, he can make highlight plays, so now all we do is obsess over that. But he's also part of a losing team right now that's 4-9 and nine and not playing super meaningful basketball and has not found a recipe to help them win games. So... Not totally sold still on him and his ability to do that. And the jury's still out. We'll see. Like I said, super talented, great offensive player. But there are a lot more elements of the game that, again, don't show up in the stat sheet. That the casual fan doesn't even really notice. That win and lose basketball games. A couple... People talked about post-offense and how that compares to, you know, threes being much more efficient and why post-ups are dead and yada, yada, yada. I mean, they're not. (laughs) First of all, Jokic still plays through it a ton. LeBron plays through it a ton. AD plays through it a ton. Kawhi plays through it a ton. CP and Booker and Aiden play through it. The Warriors play through it to pass out of it, usually. Wiseman plays out of it to score some. DeRozan plays out of it. Aldridge plays out of it. Porzingis some. Luka some. Jokic, I mentioned. Zion, obviously, will go down there. Ingram will go down there. Cattle go down there. Embiid, part of the top offense in the East. And Simmons. Tatum does it. Giannis does it. Lopez on occasion. Sabonis, plenty. A lot. KD, obviously. Drummond, some in Cleveland. Randall. Vucevic, Jimmy Butler, Siakam, Russ, Blake. (laughs) I probably missed half the guys too, but does that seem like nobody goes down in the post anymore? A lot of them are wings, so maybe yes, you can make an argument. Biggs playing out of the post are not nearly as common, and it's kind of a lost art to an extent, but the bigs that can still have a lot of value down there. Jokic creates a ton out of 
scoring in the post or forcing doubles or getting switches and they get threes when guys come and double and have to rotate to him. Post offense definitely isn't dead. It's declined. It's people that don't really understand the game. Just looking at the macroeconomics, the efficiencies as a whole of threes versus post-ups. And yeah, that's how you had guys like Mike D'Antoni. I've heard him speak at a clinic literally saying the post-up's the least efficient shot of basketball. It's 0.8 or whatever points per possession. It's not a good shot. Well, you know what? Now that he's got Kevin Durant, he's got a slightly different tone. And the analytics people will say, oh, well, nobody would ever tell KD not to go down to the post. And uh, yeah, obviously, it's a good shot for him. It's a good shot for basically everybody I just named. To different extents of greatness, and not everybody's incredible there, but DeMar DeRozan's a great post scorer. <laughs> the reason the times when his long two percentage slips or his efficiency slips or whatever is when San Antonio doesn't have amazing shooting around him and teams come and dig and double and help and fly multiple bodies at him and yeah the shots become pretty damn tough then but if you play him straight up single coverage and and let him just play one-on-one he's usually going to get a layup or a dunk or a five-foot you know, fade whatever he gets to. And those plays, again, just put so much pressure on the defense, and then that's how he gets so many assists, how many passes out, great passes he makes out of it. The whole thing about, like, looking at those efficiency stats is that they don't take into account, like they totally missed for Kobe and people just don't understand, that those numbers are the way they are because people know who they are. As in, even if Steph Curry is, is having a down percentage year from three, or like the year Marcus Smart was shooting better than Clay Thompson, doesn't mean Marcus Smart's a better shooter than Clay Thompson. It means Marcus Smart is probably taking nothing but wide-ass open three-pointers, at least a few years ago. And every time Clay Thompson shoots, the other coach is having a heart attack. He's got four people contesting every shot. Kobe. <laughs> the only reason his percentage on long twos was lower was because he had three guys trying to guard him. Because he had the most, quote-unquote, gravity in the league. He was the number one guy on the game plan every single night. The most feared player in the league. The guy that coaches would spend all meetings about. How in the world do we stop him? How do we hold him under 50 tonight? You double him, you triple him, you front him, you dig at him, you do a million different things. And so yeah, when you do that and when you double Steph coming off pin downs and you rough them up and are so physical with these guys, sometimes their percentages slip a little bit. But you know what? A lot of the times that quote-unquote gravity again does then lead to open shots for everybody else 
offensive rebounds, ball movement for threes that you get hockey assists for that don't even show up for you. Again, Simmons creates right up there with Giannis like the most threes in the league. But the only thing people care about is that he can't shoot him himself. Giannis can't really shoot him himself either. Who gives a shit if Giannis shoots 29% from three? The other coach is doing jumping jacks when Giannis takes threes. Post-ups aren't dead. They're never going to be dead. Because when the game slows down, when it comes to playoff basketball, those teams, those players... Those guys that have won, the Kevin Durants, the Kawhis, the Jimmy Butlers, they know that you're not going to win in the playoffs just by jacking up 30 to 35% threes. That yes, those can win you games, and, and certainly if you have the best two shooters of all time, maybe, you can win championships that way. And obviously you need three-point shooting on your team, and you need to be able to do it all. But down the stretch of close games, give me a 46% two over a 32% three every time. That 14% difference in terms of just scoring or not, I care about that more than the extra point in a two-point uh, a tie game with two minutes left. That's the ebbs and flows of a basketball game. That's the up to, down to, down four when you need a bucket. Just need a basket. Stop the bleeding. Down six. That's when people don't realize how much more valuable it is to have Kevin Durant. You can just throw the ball to at seven feet from the basket, back to the basket, or face up, whatever, and he just turns around and shoots and scores and makes that shot almost every time unless you've got Kawhi on him or you run seven defenders at him. Still got a place in basketball. It'll always have a place in basketball. And kids, work on it because that'll keep you on the floor. It'll have value, I promise you. It's not going anywhere. think I hit on just about everything I was trying to hit on. I hope the Wizards are enjoying their spring break. They're two weeks off from basketball games because they couldn't even guard against the entire team getting COVID, much less getting a defensive stop. Appreciate you guys for listening. Appreciate those of you, most importantly, that are on patreon.com slash Brian. Again, if you're not aware, YouTube, the podcast, all those things, Twitter, all great. I love putting out content for you guys. I appreciate all the kind words. The This is great analysis. This is great content. One of my favorite follows, blah, blah, blah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate your likes. But the simple fact is... They don't pay the bills, and I need to find a sustainable business model that will allow me to make a living. 
Now in my third season of doing this on the media side. I'm not asking to be a millionaire. I'm not asking you guys to contribute your life savings. But if you can support with even $2 a month at patreon.com slash Brian, you get 50 bonus videos, you get private chats. If you contribute five or more a month, you get my bet of the day, which is 20 and 10 right now, 66%. I would really, really appreciate it. My model hasn't been about hot takes, hasn't been about clickbait, hasn't been about screaming things I don't believe like 90% of the media does these days. It's been about honesty, authenticity, real takes, rational takes, calm takes, honest takes. And those things, again, don't get the most clicks in the world. So I need to find another model to support them. And that model, again, is Patreon. So again, if you can take literally 60 seconds... Links in my bio, or again, patreon.com slash gatwithbrian. You can do up front, you can do monthly, you save like 5% if you do up front for the year. If you don't want to deal with the recurring charges, it's like 22 bucks a, mo- uh, a year for the lowest tier. I would really appreciate your support, and like I said, I promise you get a lot of bonus content, added value. I obviously interact a lot, but I can't reply to... Every single comment, every single tweet, every single YouTube reply. If you want a direct line to me, if you want to be able to reach out more frequently one-on-one, definitely join Patreon, and I promise that is the best way to get a consistent response from me and increase your basketball IQ and really learn more and more about the game. And again, I appreciate you rewarding My consistency, honesty, rationality, all those things with a small contribution from a lot of people, hopefully, that'll help continue to crowdfund this and prove that media doesn't have to be about hot takes and nonsense and crushing guys every other second and calling for every coach's firing. That it can be calmer and more rational and honest and not shy away from telling the truth. And that there's a market out there for that. And that we can make it happen without needing 10 million views per video or to sell out for clicks. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe and rate and review. And again, appreciate those of you following on Patreon as well as YouTube, the podcast, Scout with Brian on Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth. Always where to find me, Scout with Brian with a Y. Thanks again for listening, and uh, I will talk to you guys soon.